What are the key similarities and differences between a 1031 exchange investment and an Opportunity Zones investment? And how do the investor profiles of the two programs differ? Find out next on today's episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, the weekly show where we interview Opportunity Zones professionals and experts from fund managers to tax advisors, from real estate developers to venture capitalists. If it impacts Opportunity Zones or the Opportunity Funds industry, we cover it here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Atkinson. My guest today is national commercial real estate broker, developer, and investor, Thomas Morgan. He's also a fellow podcaster, host of the 1031 Exchange and Passive Income Series podcast, and Compound, a new show focused on impact investing. Over the course of his career, Thomas has been involved in over $1 billion of real estate deals in over 35 states. His primary firm specializes in triple net 1031 exchanges. He also has a passion for adaptive reuse, impact investments, conservation, and public street art. And to that end, he is currently creating projects and raising funds for his Compound Opportunity Fund, which invests in Opportunity Zone real estate nationwide with a focus on social impact and environmental progress. He joins us today from his office in Aspen, Colorado. Thomas, welcome to the show. Hey, Jimmy. How are you doing? Good man, I'm I'm glad we finally connected on the podcast here. We've been in touch for uh, for a few weeks now. I know we've been talking about getting you on, and I'm I'm excited to have you here today. Yeah, super psyched to be here, and I want to just uh, acknowledge you and thank you for your shows you've done over the last few weeks. I think you're fulfilling a unique niche, and your guests have actually been super helpful contacts. I've been reaching out to a lot of them, and they've uh, been really receptive and. I have a lot of new friends and business acquaintances because of it. So thank you. I'm glad to hear that. That's awesome. So let's start us off. Uh, Some of my listeners are just hearing about Opportunity Zones for the first time, and maybe they're not that familiar with real estate investing and 1031 exchanges. So I was hoping we could start at square one. Can you tell us what is a 1031 exchange? Yeah. So what I like to describe 1031 exchanges as is... um, one of the greatest wealth building tools uh, known to to mankind. It's you know it's it's not really a secret, uh, but it's a tool that the wealthy use to continually defer taxes uh, from real estate sales over the years. And 1031 exchange refers to Section 1031 of the Internal Revenue Code. And a lot of people think that you have to exchange the property. You, you know, we have to find a another property and have a seller agree to exchange it. But basically, you just sell a property that you have a gain in and you're looking to defer the capital gains. And then you have to find another suitable property that you want to invest in to essentially buy. And that completes the exchange. And then there's some guidelines you have to follow under the Internal Revenue Code with some timeframes and procedures, which we can get into if you want. But uh, going back to the first point about the greatest wealth building tool. Um, you know, essentially, if you, the example I, I like to use is, let's say a $3 million sale. Let's say your family's owned it for 50 years, 20 years, whatever. And you have a $3 million property you're selling somewhere. What most people don't realize is it's not just capital gains tax you're going to be liable for. 
if you're in a higher income tax bracket, you're going to be subject to the health care or Obamacare tax. And then you're also going to have what's called depreciation recapture. And a lot of people don't know that, but all the depreciation you've taken over the 50 years of owning that asset, the government's going to try and tax you or they're going to tax you on that income you've sheltered. And so by the time you you put all those three things in there, uh, it's not uncommon for someone with a $3 million sale to have a million dollar tax liability. And so today, there's, there's kind of two ways to look at it. You can sell it and write the check for a million dollars for your tax to the government and say goodbye to that money. Or you can arrange to do a 1031 exchange and buy another piece of property and use that million dollars that would otherwise go to tax and keep it in your investment pool indefinitely. And you can keep 1031-ing essentially until you die, as long as you follow the code. Yeah, that's great. That's a good primer. And I do want to ask you more about 1031s and and we'll tie into how they compare with opportunity zones in a, in a few minutes here. But uh, I wanted to talk with you more about triple net properties now. Your firm, Anderson Morgan, specializes in, in triple net 1031 properties. And again, for my listeners who may be new to real estate investing, could you just explain what triple net means, what triple net properties are and, and provide some examples? Yeah. So um, Andrus and Morgan Company is my real estate brokerage. And we also do some of our development and investment through that company. And then we run a service or a website called 1031navigator.com. And essentially, you know, we're, we're investment real estate brokers. We work all over the country and we specialize in 1031 exchanges into passive income properties or other types of, of income properties. Uh, most of the people I find doing 1031 exchanges who come to me, they tend to have owned a property a really long time. They were hands-on owners. Uh, I call them kind of legacy owners where they might have um, you know, family-owned property, industrial, office, multifamily, where they have to roll up their sleeves They've been managing property or their family's been managing property for 10, 15, 20 years, and they're sick of the management. And so they're looking to defer those taxes that we talked about earlier and roll those into a passive investment where they don't have to do anything. And so a triple net property, if, if you've heard the term triple net, it comes from triple net lease, which uh, triple nets, typically the three ends are uh, taxes, insurance, and maintenance. And the, the leases are structured that the tenant typically pays those expenses and or manages all the operations of the property. Uh, so most of my clients are actually buying what are called single tenant triple net properties. And we do a lot of Walgreens, CVS, Dollar General, fast food type stores, um, Arby's, Pizza Hut, things like that. And the leases are very, very long term, usually minimum of 15 years maybe 20 or even 25 years, depending on the tenant. And the landlord does not have to do anything. They just collect the rent uh, every month. And we, you know, in the business, we kind of jokingly refer to it as mailbox money or an armchair investment. So people can go from tenants, termites, and toilets, you know, in their multifamily or their office building or whatever they've been doing to mailbox money and just receive the net rent and the tenant takes care of, of everything depending on the lease. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, with the triple net lease in particular, it's it is purely passive. There's no taxes, no insurance, no maintenance for the 
for the owner to pay. That all goes to the tenant. And, and, and those 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 things are Jimmy. Those things are there. There's you know there's definitely taxes, insurance, and maintenance. But the under the lease, the tenant is supposed to take care of them. So you know you have to watch your tenant to make sure they're doing it. Uh, but it, for all practical purposes, if the tenant's doing their job, the owner doesn't have to do anything. Right. If, and I guess that's the big if. As long as the tenant does his job, it's it's purely passive. Correct. Uh, let me back up here for a minute. I want Thomas, if you could tell me a little bit more about yourself. Tell me tell me your story. How did you get started with this and and what was your journey like to get to where you are today? Well, I, I hail from just outside of Flint, Michigan. Everyone's heard of uh, Flint and the water crisis. And here I am today just outside of Aspen, Colorado. So I'm, I'm kind of a... Uh, or a person full of dichotomies, let's say, and I can I can tell you more about that when we talk about compound. But you originated from Flint. My uh, dad was in the hardware business, owned hardware stores, owned a few strip centers, and I saw him go to work every day and essentially have to open up the the stores. And then I uh, met a friend's uh, dad who was a big real estate developer out of Chicago when I was in college, and I had lunch with him, and and he said the biggest difference between me and your dad is I don't have to go to work every day and open up the door, the doors, you know, someone else, essentially the tenants open up the doors for me and I make my money by them paying me rent and or by buying or selling the property. And he said something or, you know, two things that stuck with me and I was probably 19 years old. He told me about cap rates and he explained it very simply and he used an eight cap as an example. And so that stuck with me. You know, we use that every single day and in our business and of commercial investment real estate. And then he also said that uh, good deals find good money. And so that stuck with me, uh, both in what I do today with the triple net investments, you know, that are long-term passive, safe investments that people want to pass on to their kids. And I want my clients to come back and be able to be proud of what they bought and send their friends to me. But it also goes to what we're doing with Compound in the impact investment space of good deals find good money. Uh, meaning that the you know the right kind of projects will attract the right capital, you know, aligned capital, and you know move move things forward. But um, so basically, that got me kind of interested in commercial real estate, and I ended up getting a business degree from Michigan State. Came out to Colorado for a summer job, and that was I guess over twenty years ago now, and never really been back. And I've you know got to work with a lot of interesting people. Throughout the years, uh, clients are all over the place, properties are all over the place, and um, I've got to you know work on every single type of property: mobile home parks, apartment buildings. I've done bed and breakfasts. I've done uh, you know conservation easement type deals, uh, gas stations, you know office. You know you name it. I've, I've worked either as a uh, broker, appraiser, developer, or owner of almost any any kind of property type, and at some point, I, I stumbled upon the CCIM Institute and got my CCIM designation in 2007. And they teach you all about time value money, internal rate of return. And then, you know, the networking opportunities provided by CCIM have just been tremendous. And I realized, you know, that commercial real estate is a national business. You know, living here in the mountains, it doesn't have to be just limited to where you are. And the internet, you know, over the last 10 years has really progressed things even more. So we can you know, work from, from wherever the clients are, wherever properties, wherever it's a national business. So that, you know, that's a little background to where I am today. That's great. Yeah. What a, what a unique perspective change that must've been to see your dad open up that store every day for, for 18, 19 years. And then suddenly you 
have a big perspective shift. And you're right. It's a commercial real estate is a national business and it's also a people business. And I'm sure the CCIM help you network and meet new people all over the country. So, yeah, no, it, it, it's a fun business. It's, it can be, uh, you know, it's a challenging business, but there's a lot of savvy, smart people and there's a, a lot of creative people and it. The depth of it is, is immense. You know, if you just say, you know, commercial real estate or, you know, then you have investment real estate, then you have all the sub property types. Uh, and then you have all the different people doing stuff with, with debt and or equity, you know, on the financing side, it's, you know, and then you have the tax people and you have the law. It's, it's a really dynamic business and, and you get to interact with a lot of different professions, you know, different, different characters and different, different personalities who all do different business, different ways. So it's always kind of fun to when you when you actually close a deal or achieve the the objectives, it's uh, you can celebrate and that's a fun thing to do. Yeah, and the the people behind that deal sometimes can read like uh, end credits of a movie. There's there's a lot of names that scroll up that screen. Oh yeah, just like for sure. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about Compound, but but before I do that, I want to go back for a minute and uh, and talk to you more about Anderson Morgan and and what you're doing there. What are what are some of the most common questions that you get about 1031 exchanges and the work that you're doing um, at your primary firm there? So, um, you know, we get a lot of the same questions over and over. So what I realized is if I could stop answering those individually one off, I, you know, I put them on the podcast. I you know, started blogging a long time ago and I've answered a lot on YouTube. Uh, but a lot of them relate to the actual 1031 exchange process, which believe it or not, a lot of accountants really don't know much about. So, you know, people, the, the sellers of property have heard it, heard about it, or their friends know about it. And so they go out searching, looking for answers. But um, one of the biggest fallacies is that exchange, you know, people think they have to actually trade from property A to property B to make it, you know, you have to have a seller aligned with actually taking your property. And, you know, it's an even trade, but it, but it's not. Um, it's called an exchange but essentially, it's you sell and then you buy something new to complete the exchange. And you have to do it right uh, per the code. You have to get what's called a qualified intermediary to hold the funds and do some paperwork or that can disqualify uh, the 1031 from the IRS. But basically, right before you get ready to, to close the property you're selling, you, you wind it up with the, the qualified intermediary, the QI, and you, um, they, they essentially take the funds when you, when you sell they take the funds and they hold them for you while you're finding another property. And you have up to 45 days from when you close to identify uh, up to three properties, or there's another rule called the 200% rule, which you can do. Um, and then you have 180 days total to close on one or, or all of those three properties. And then that successfully completes the 1031. So, you know, you know that those points, I just, we're talking about 45 days, 180 days, QI, uh, three property rule, 200% rule. Those are some of the main questions about how to actually do a 1031. And, I, you know, I, I'm not a, a legal person or a tax person, so I always defer to uh, those professionals. But those are the basic you know, questions I answer. And then the next part of you know, the business is actually the real estate investment advisory and understanding what people's goals are, what they're trying to achieve with their money. Uh, if they're just looking to defer tax if that's the main reason, or if they're looking for a certain cap rate or a certain internal rate of return. Uh, do they want to invest close to home? You know, do they want a 12% return? Or are they okay with a 5% return? So kind of 
you know, understanding that you know, a lot of the people I work with are families. So understanding their, their goals, what their family objectives are, and then matching a property to those goals and then sorting through the you know, hundreds or thousands of properties to, you know, to complete that exchange in a suitable investment. You know, anybody can 1031 exchange into a, a crappy property. The key is, is being able to, you know, defer those taxes and increase your wealth. You know, I, you know, I call it uh, create, build, and protect wealth is what we're trying to do with commercial investment real estate. Um, so those, you know, those are the three things that we're, you know, trying to do and, you know, making sure it's a suitable property that achieves those goals. And that, you know, that goes into the triple net investments of, you know, why a tenant is located where they are, you know, how many cars are at the corner, what the demographics are like, you know, is, is the area growing or declining, you know, all the different factors. Um, and, you know, the internet's helped us with that because we can, we can analyze any property in about a minute, you know, uh, get all that data and then make a decision on a property pretty quick. Good. So let's shift gears and talk about opportunity zones now for a minute. And I want you to relate opportunity zones to 1031 exchanges since you're my 1031 exchange expert. So can, can you, there are some similarities between the two programs, um, but there are a lot of differences as well. Okay. Can you talk about the differences and, and similarities between the two programs? Yeah, I think the the main thing is that the they're meant to um, you know, help help people defer taxes and then therefore spur investment in the economy and in specific areas. You know, the the main thing with 1031s is you can invest anywhere and you can keep deferring the taxes indefinitely. You can keep doing 1031 exchanges into other properties and keep reusing that money that you would other pay and otherwise pay in tax. And, and keep growing that money um, you know, until you, essentially you die or, or until you do some estate planning. And that, that's when your basis steps up. Whereas with the Opportunity Zone program, you're, you're obviously going to be limited by uh, investing in qualified uh, Opportunity Zones, so specific areas. And then you're going to have to pay some tax in 2026. And if you do it right, you know, you've covered this on the show extensively. So I don't need to I think we need to rehash it. But Essentially, you can reduce your tax by 15%, but then in 2026, you're going to have to pay the tax. Where 1031, you can keep deferring. Uh, but then I think the biggest thing is on the back end where if, you know, if you've held the, the property for over 10 years, your basis gets stepped up while you're alive or you know, whatever your estate planning is doing. Uh, your, your basis, you, know, you don't have to pay any more gain. So you're essentially out of the investment. You've, you've paid a reduced tax and you can you know, get exponential gains on that property, hopefully, you know, if you've made the right investment. Yeah, but I think the, the two biggest differences, Jimmy, are the 1031, you can invest anywhere and you can defer the taxes indefinitely. Opportunity Zone program, you have to invest in the Opportunity Zones. You're going to have to pay some tax, but then you, you're going to get some benefit on on the back end. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, in some ways, the 1031 exchange is more flexible than opportunity zones because you're not limited to certain geographies. Um, but, but in other ways, the opportunity zone program is much more flexible because first of all, it doesn't have to be a like kind exchange. Your capital gain that you're deferring can come from anywhere. It, can, it doesn't have to be real estate. It can come from the sale of art or stock or any, any capital gain. Yeah. Yeah. You're, 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 you're totally right. The, the 1031 exchange is like kind. So you have to go real estate to real estate. And then the OZ program, you can go from, from, you know, sell stock or art or jewelry and go to real estate or vice versa, which is, you know, provides a lot of flexibility for people. 
Yes. Yeah. But it inflexible in that it, it's limited to certain geographies and, and those being by, for the most part, low income geographies as well. So that, that that's a challenge of the OZ program. So who, who are the different types of investors who may prefer a 1031 exchange to an opportunity zone program or vice versa? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. And, and an example I have is a yeah, I'm kind of wearing two hats with my 1031 business and the, the new impact investing business. Um, you know, I, I'm talking to my existing clients about doing it, and I'm talking to them about opportunity zones. And talked to one longtime client who I've done uh, three exchanges with over the years. He splits his time between New York City, the Hamptons, and uh, Palm Beach. And he said, Thomas, you know, like opportunity zones sound great, but I've always been a location, location, location investor. And that's the way I've, I've made my money. And that's what I know. I'm not going to go into a, a low income area or, a, or you know, poverty stricken area just for some tax benefits. You know, I can do a 1031, not have to pay any tax, you know, keep, keep deferring my tax and I can buy, you know, grade A real estate. However, you know, when I talk to people who are a little more, let's say, you know, less financially driven and more socially conscious, the... You know, the point of the OZ program was revitalization and you know, people you know, want to feel good about where they're investing their money and what they're doing with their money. And the Opportunity Zone program provides that extra juice for someone to you know, invest in, in an area they otherwise wouldn't invest in. Uh, so you know, I think those are the two, you know, two biggest differences is investor profile of, of one, maybe more money driven and two, the other one more uh, impact or you know, socially conscious driven. That makes sense. Do you have anybody who's doing both, who's kind of hedging a little bit, who's interested in 1031 exchanges and doing some 1031 exchanges, but also wants to have that social impact and 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 do some opportunity zone investing as well? Do you think those investors are out there who will do both? Yeah. So, you know, you touched on this um, in one of our conversations the other day about, can, you know, can you do a 1031 into an opportunity zone? Mm-hmm. And, and you, you can, you know, but um, most, you know, so people can invest in opportunity zones, whether or not they're taking advantage of the, the OZ program or not. Uh, but a lot of 1031 capital, you know, if they can invest anywhere, they're probably going to choose other areas. So I, I think it goes back to the mindset of the investor and, and, and what their, their goals are. Uh, but for example, and, you know, this is kind of where the, the compound thing you know, came from is I've had 1031 clients. I've done a little little blogging about essentially sustainable 1031s or you know, weed certified buildings, green buildings for 1031. You know, some people are structuring solar and alternative energy projects for 1031s. And so there's people out there searching. I, I had a woman, she's from New York City, still on some property there, but she lives in Italy, you know, enjoying the good life. And she called me, she said, I'm I'm selling an old industrial building in New York City. I have $2 million. I don't want to just put it into a Dollar General or, or Walgreens. You know, I, I could, but I don't, I don't need that extra income. I don't really need that security. I, I'd rather just feel good about what I'm doing with the money. And so what can you put me in uh, you know, that would be, you, know, you match that. So we're, we're looking at some essentially organic farm investments. Uh, and, and most of the things we, we work on, Jimmy, are income property. So they, they have to generate some sort of annual income. Um, so like organic farms would be one. Uh, we're looking at some forestry properties or timber properties where she could actually buy it and manage the forest uh, sustainably, but then have an income stream from selling off 
certain certain tracks or you know mature growth trees. And then we're you know we're also going back to uh, you know just green weed certified buildings and or tenants that she would feel good about owning. You know like like natural grocers is a big tenant right now that you know kind of up there with Whole Foods that people like to see. You know, some people like Starbucks, you know, they like their, their social impact and what they're doing. I mean, it's not, not green by any means, but, um, you know, there's, there's different opportunities out there for people who, who, who want to you know, do it out, you know, do a 1031 outside of an opportunity zone. Um, but, but that's just an example we've been working on. That concludes part one of my conversation with Thomas Morgan, but be sure to tune in for part two on the next episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, as Thomas and I discuss impact investing and how his Compound Opportunity Fund differs from most other Opportunity Zone funds. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit OpportunityDB.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone Fund investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.